What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a brand new week of Raise the Apple MLB Recap Edition. But before we get into that, we have a couple little housekeeping things regarding the New York Mets. First of all, literally hours, not even hours, maybe an hour or two, after last week's episode was uploaded, the Mets made huge headway and eventually have now hired their new general manager, Billy Epler, will be taking the reins as the GM for the Mets for the 2022 season. Overall, I like this hire. Now, it's right off the bat, it was met with a lot of, I don't like this move, but have it, Epler previously served with the Yankees. He previously served with the Angels as the Angels GM, but was relieved of duties. He was part of getting Rendon and Trout and Otani and all those big names that are in LA. And everyone's like, oh, well, they didn't do what he didn't do anything in LA. Well, a lot of the criticism that he's gotten has been said to be unwarranted because a lot of the moves he wanted to make or some of the moves he did make were coming from ownership. So it wasn't necessarily him that was making those decisions. It was ownership telling him what to do, and he was just doing his job. But overall, based on his introductory press conference, I think he has the potential to be really good. I like this hire. I thought it was great that the Mets got someone outside of the organization to help them. And hopefully it all works out. Now there's a clear, there is uh, Steve Cohen is the owner. You got Sandy Olsen as the president. And you got uh, Billy Epler as the GM. Now they need an on-field manager. And then they can go address the roster. But they're starting to get, they got three of the four pieces for clear leadership from top to bottom before they can establish the roster. All they need now is an on-field manager. But speaking of the on-field roster, and speaking of the Angels, the Los Angeles Angels broke the hearts of Mets fans, including my own. Noah Syndergaard is no longer a New York Met. Now that was a bombshell out of nowhere that the Angels come in, they swoop down and sign Syndergaard to a one-year, $21 million deal. The Mets' qualifying offer to Syndergaard was $18.6 million, I believe, or somewhere in that range. So basically, he signed for he signed with the Angels for just over $2 million, more than what he would have gotten with the Mets. For the same length of contract for one season, for an extra just over $2 million, he is going to the Angels... Now, for the Angels, this is a great get. This has it's a high, very high risk, but very high reward. Syndergaard's only pitched two innings in the last two years, but we all know the upside with Syndergaard. We know he throws hard. We know he's got nasty movement. We know he when he's healthy, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. It is a huge top-of-the-rotation get to back Otani for the Angels. I really like this move if I'm an Angels fan. They, they got a stud in that rotation. They typically have not had great success with signing free agents or making trades. This is one I have a feeling that has the potential to turn out to be very good. From the Mets standpoint, this sucks. <laughs> Blatantly put, <laughs> this sucks. Now, assuming Conforto signs elsewhere, DeGrom is the only one left from the 2015 World Series team. I don't know what happened because Syndergaard came out and said when the Angels started talking to him, the Mets were virtually, his words were radio silent. The Mets did not even try to counter 
or try and fight the Angels to keep Syndergaard. Which tells me that I said this in the TikTok that I wonder if it's kind of similar to the Kumar Rocker situation where they weren't totally sold on his arm recovery and the health status of his arm and they didn't want to take a high, they didn't want to pay him what more, I guess, or what he wanted. They didn't want to pay him for the potential of his arm not cooperating and not recovering properly from surgery. There were some injury concerns there, and justifiably so, but at the same time, when it's no Syndergaard, he's become an established name in your franchise and on your team. And it was it was the qualifying offer. It's not like they were trying to sign him long-term or anything like that. It's kind of shocking that the Mets were so radio silent on not trying harder to keep Syndergaard. I'm wondering what their reasoning was, but it's... It sucks. I feel like I feel when Ahmed Rosario got traded in the Lindor trade, I'm like, ex- I was excited that the Mets got Lindor, but at the same time, I was like, but well, we lost Ahmed Rosario. Now I'm kind of thinking this rotation just lost Noah Syndergaard, and it sucks. My first Mets game was Noah Syndergaard pitching, and oh man, it 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 sucks losing Syndergaard. Not only from a fan perspective. But from a team perspective, you might not keep Stroman. You just lost Syndergaard. Jake has had injury issues. So your rotation is in shambles right now. So their top priority this offseason needs to be the starting rotation. Their top priority right now needs to be keeping Marcus Stroman. Which tells me if they are this okay with Syndergaard going... They have no way they can justify not keeping Marcus Stroman. They have to keep Marcus Stroman. If they do not, I really don't know what they're doing, what the Mets are doing, but they have to keep Stro. They have to get another uh, high-end or quality starter in that rotation because right now, if let's say they if you don't keep Stroman, you're looking at DeGrom, David Peterson, Tyler McGill, Carlos Carrasco, they got some holes you got to fill. They've been talks about bringing back Steven Matz. I don't know if that's a great idea or not. But I think the Mets absolutely 150% have to keep Stroman with everything they can. That He's going to get paid. We saw Jose Barrios got a big contract extension with the Blue Jays. We saw how much the Tigers paid Eduardo Rodriguez to come play. Which tells me that Stroman's about to get loaded. The Mets should be all in on that. I know there have been talks with the Mets trying to get Verlander before he re-signed with Houston or the Mets trying to get Max Scherzer. I don't know if the Mets will be in play for Max Scherzer if they get Stroman. If they could get Stroman and Scherzer, that would be something, but I don't see that being realistic. I would throw all everything into Stroman to keep him there and then try and build some depth starting pitching, reliable quality starting pitching behind Jake and Stroman being your top, your one-two guys in the rotation. But losing Syndergaard absolutely sucks. <sighs> I'm totally open to reunion next year if he wants to come back and play for the Mets. But that was just a horrible, horrible bombshell out of nowhere seeing Syndergaard signing with the Angels. Uh, not No one was really expecting that. It's... It sucks. I'll just leave it at that. It sucks. But today's episode, we are doing an MLB season recap, 
looking at my predictions, I have a picture here of what I had for predictions and how horrible they all were. Well, not all of them. A lot of them were pretty bad. But we're going to dive right into it. I got, we're going to compare the, the standings, MVP race, Cy Young race, Manager of the Year race, Rookie of the Year race, which we did not get any of those races correct. Uh, we did barely got any of the postseason correct. So this should be a good one. So let's see, where are we going to start here? <clears throat> let's start in the AL East. So in the AL East, I had record. I'm not really going to focus too much on just because it's record. And it's like, you can't really predict that. I had Yankees, Blue Jays, Rays, Boston, and the Orioles. Obviously, Tampa won the division. That was my tough. That was a tough division to pick. Considering you had four teams in this division win 91 games or more, and three of them in the postseason, I did not expect Boston to play as well as they did. That offense absolutely mashed, which we all knew they were going to do, but that starting rotation stepped up big time. The starting rotation for the Red Sox stepped up so much. Guys like Nick Pavetta and Nathan Eovaldi, and they had a phenomenal year. Now, I shouldn't have discredited the Tampa Bay Rays as much as I did because the Tampa Bay Rays did win 100 games in the division again. But I want I thought the Yankees were the Yankees had a disappointing year and the fact that they had a disappointing year when they finished 92 and 70 just says how good the Yankees are. Now as a Mets fan, I know that like I hate the Yankees obviously, but I got to give credit where credit's due. The Yankees are a they have a great team. There's no denying that. But what the, the talent they had, they had disappointing years from Glaber Torres, from Andujar, from a lot of guys in the rotation, and they were still able to win 92 games. They were still able to make the playoffs, even though they lost in the wildcard game. <coughs> Excuse me. Even though they lost in the wildcard game, I, should, I did not think the Yankees... I thought the Yankees, I had them at 95 wins, but when you look on paper, that was easily a 100-win team easily 100 win team so I kind of Toronto I just Toronto's in a tough spot simply put I had Toronto if I look at this winning the wild card and then losing in the divisional round to the Yankees Toronto's in a tough spot because they have the Red Sox who are apparently here now they're back already from the dead the Rays and Yankees are in the midst of in the middle of their most competitive time. The Yankees always have been there. The Rays are, this is their time now. The AL East is going to be a very tough division to win for the next coming years because of how quickly Boston's bounced back, how good the Yankees have always been. Toronto is right there. That offense in Toronto absolutely mashes. And then you have the Rays being the Rays. It's just a, it's going to be a tough division to win no matter what. But having I had like I said I had the Yankees winning it, they ended up finishing third or tied for second actually. So not a not terrible, but the AL Central was kind of the best predictions I'd had. I had the White Sox winning it, which they did. I had Minnesota finishing second. Minnesota just had a huge disappointing season 
just it was just a horrible year for the Twins. And then you look at the AL West. I had Houston. I had the Angels as my surprise team, making a wild card spot, followed by Oakland, Seattle, and Texas. Uh, Seattle, they're in play. Seattle won 90 games. The A's won 86. The Angels just got went out and got Noah Syndergaard. The AL West could quickly become a four-team race. Texas still has a little bit. I love the Texas Rangers, but they still got a little bit to go before they're competitive again. But the AL West is also one of those divisions. We could have three or four divisions that are four-team races. And I think the AL West could quickly become one of those things. The Astros won the division by five games. Seattle was hot on their tail the last stretch of the year. They were trying to make up a lot of ground, and they almost did. They got very close a couple times to the Astros kind of stumbling to the finish line a little bit. But Seattle, they very quietly had a phenomenal final stretch of the year where they went from no one was really talking about them because they were kind of just there all the way up to they were postseason contenders. They got up to, I think at one point, half a game out of a wild card spot, or they were in the wild card spot at one point. So the Mariners are kind of here quicker than expected, and the A's always, like the Rays, they're finding ways to win. And you got the Astros who are always going to be there. The Angels are coming around. They've added, they finally are adding starting rotation, good starting rotation pieces to try and help out Otani and Trout. So this division could quickly become a four-team race. Like I said, I had the Angels winning, or I had the Mariners finishing 70 and 92. They were 90 and 72. I think I had I had the Astros winning 89 games. They won 95. I had the A's winning 84. They won 86. So it wasn't terribly wasn't terribly off. But when I look at the AL wild card picture, I had I had Toronto and the Angels in the wild card game. And then I had the Yankees beating, and then Toronto winning that. Then in the divisional round, I had the Yankees beating Toronto, the White Sox beating Houston, and then the White Sox beating the Yankees in the LCS, and the White Sox being the AL representatives in the World Series. And the only problem I have with these predictions is the White Sox. And I say that because what do the White Sox do to get over the hump? Last year, they were horrible down the finals. After they clinched the playoff spot, they were horrible the rest of the regular season. And they stumbled down to the finish line, and they struggled in the postseason. The same thing happened with this year. They were good into the postseason, but once they got into the postseason, they started. They didn't look like the dominant White Sox throughout the entire year. So it makes me wonder, what is missing on this White Sox team? Offensively, we know they're there. We know the bullpen's been great. We know the starting rotation's good. We know Tony La Russa did great. He had kind of a rocky start as being the manager there, but ended the year great. What do the White Sox have to do to get over the hump? And maybe that's something we'll talk about as the offseason goes on, but the AL is quickly becoming a very young, very powerful league. You have the the top teams like the Astros, the Yankees, the Red Sox, excuse me, the Rays, but the young up-and-coming teams, Toronto, you got Seattle and the Angels, the A's, 
pretty soon you'll have Detroit and Kansas City coming up out of nowhere. The AL can look very different in terms of the teams that are winning every year. The Orioles still have a way to go, but they have some studs up and coming. The American League could get very competitive very quick. And it's just a matter of if the White Sox want to... The White Sox have the potential to make a dynasty with how young and how good that current roster is. The only question is, what is that missing piece that's going to get them over that hump, get them to the next level to becoming that dynasty team that they are certainly capable of becoming? And as we transition to the American League, or excuse me, the National League, the same question could be said for a lot of teams in here. What is going to be that piece to get them over the hump? So in the National League, we're going to start out west. We had the the Giants, Dodgers, Padres, Rockies, Diamondbacks. Uh, I had Dodgers, Padres, Giants, Rockies, Diamondbacks. I, obviously, the Giants, everyone butchered. No one had the Giants winning 107 games. No one had them being the best team in baseball, record-wise. No one had them winning the West and dethroning the Dodgers. They did lose early in the postseason, but the Giants, just Giants, I don't really know what else to say about that. The Dodgers, we all know that they're always there. The Padres, everyone talks about how the Mets collapsed and struggled down the final stretch of the year to the finish line. I would argue that the Padres stumbled worse. They just completely fell off the rails and absolutely just collapsed on themselves. You had Tatis injured so much. Just everything just seemed to fall apart right in front of them once the second half of the year started. And it was just a huge disappointment for... The Padres in 2021. They had I had them winning 90 games. Where did I have them in the postseason? I had them losing in the divisional round to the Dodgers. But overall, it was just a very disappointing year for the Padres. They need a new manager, as we all know. But this just uh, the talent is there for this Padres team. They are young. They are still learning together. Same with the White Sox. It's just a matter of you know they're the Giants are here and competitive now. And of course, you got the Dodgers that are always there. So the Padres are in an even, in an even tougher spot than they originally were beforehand. Moving on to the NL Central, no one was giving the Milwaukee Brewers any credit at all. Everyone was talking about the Cubs. The Reds could be the surprise team of the year. The Cardinals, the Cardinal way, they're going to win the division. I had Milwaukee winning the NL Central and being the surprise team in the National League. It shouldn't even have been a surprise. They won 95 games. They had a five-game cushion over second place St. Louis. Milwaukee just, they're a great team. They have a great young rotation headed by Corbin Burns. They got Hayter in the back of the bullpen. That offense is is just awesome. The Central is the weak the NL Central is the weakest division in baseball right now. And having the Brewers dominate as much as they did, they also they were where is it? Oh, it doesn't show divisional splits. They did struggle a little bit against teams that were over five hundred, but when they were on the road, they were they were almost twenty games over, and when they were home, they were almost ten games over. They did struggle down the stretch of the regular season, 
But the NL Central is pretty much going to be a two-horse two horse race between the Cardinals and the Brewers for the coming years. The Reds, I think, just need a little bit more. I think the Reds are right there, but they have to get... They need some more offensive help. They need some more starting rotation help before I would consider them a serious a serious postseason contender. But they are going to be a pesky group, just like the Marlins. They're always going to be right there. They're always going to be a team that is not going to go away quietly, and it will play spoiler down the stretch. Uh, I had Milwaukee losing in the divisional round to the Mets. We all know how that turned out. But... Uh, Milwaukee's got Milwaukee is a very under the radar team of a legit World Series contender. And then of course, we got the NL East. Mets, Braves, Washington, Phillies, Miami. I had this division butchered mostly cuz the Mets collapsed, Washington collapsed, the Braves pulled their act together the second half of the year. The Phillies just classic Phillies the past couple years they just run out of they start off amazing and then they just run out of juice they can't get anything going I'll just leave that division at that I'm a little salty so I'll just leave it at that uh but now we'll look at the award predictions MVP I had Tatis and Mike Trout winning MVPs not even close neither one of them were even finalists Harper was is now a two-time NL MVP and Shohei Otani was the unanimous AL MVP, which I think both of those, they got right with those. Uh, Cy Youngs, I had DeGrom and Lucas Giolito. Again, neither one of them were finalists. But the Cy Youngs were Corbin Burns of the Brewers for the NL, and the AL Cy Young was Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray was just unbelievable throughout the whole year. And then in the NL... I had Scherzer of the finalists. It was Burns, Scherzer, and Zach Wheeler. I could have. I was expecting Corbin, or excuse me, Max Scherzer to win it. Corbin Burns was kind of a surprise to me, but Corbin Burns, I'm not a like. I totally could see why the argument as to why he should have been the Cy Young. Rookie of the year, I had Cabrian Hayes and Jared Kelnick. Jared Kelnick didn't get called up till halfway through the year, and he stumbled out of the gate. Uh, Cabrian Hayes, I don't even know what happened to him. I don't even know what happened in Pittsburgh. Frankly, it's probably best we don't pay attention to that. But the rookies of the year were Jonathan India of the Reds and Randy Arozarena, last year's postseason hero of the Rays. Manager of the year, I had Luis Rojas and Joe Madden. That didn't happen either. It was uh, Gabe Kapler and Kevin Cash. Uh, Luis Rojas, by the way, is now the new third base coach for the Yankees. Gotta love that as a Mets fan. But uh, overall, these predictions were not very good. I mean, obviously, they're predictions. They're not supposed to be accurate 24-7. But kind of butchered those a lot more than I was really expecting myself to. Which, whatever. But overall, it was a phenomenal year for Major League Baseball. A lot of surprises, which is always awesome to see. But it was just kind of disappointing if you're a Mets fan. Kind of disappointing years for some teams like the Padres and maybe you could make the argument for the Reds or Cubs fans. Uh, Cubs fans had their hearts ripped out trading Bryant and Rizzo. If you look in the AL, disappointing year for the Yankees. Disappointing for the White Sox who were kind of the World Series favorites for much of the year. Uh, Some optimism going for Mariners 
for the Mariners. Uh, for the Braves, the defending world champs now. The Brewers, the Giants are ahead of schedule. The league just got a whole lot more competitive. And with winter meetings coming up, potential for lockouts, potential for rule changes, all this stuff going on, 2022 is going to be a very fun year of baseball. going to be a very competitive, exciting year of Major League Baseball. But that's pretty much going to wrap it up for today's episode, kind of recapping the predictions we had at the beginning of the year. And make sure that's pretty much it. You know, make sure you like, comment, share, subscribe. If you're listening on YouTube or Apple Podcasts, make sure you follow on Twitter at RTA underscore pod. Follow on TikTok at Raise the Apple for other news and information and maybe some highlight videos. And make sure you guys subscribe as always. Leave questions, comments, concerns down below. And we will see you guys next time. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's go Mets. Bang, 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 bang.